It is Super Week, but the week's been anything but super for the NFL. The sports panel on ESPN-UP, Tanner Hoops with you. Thanks for being with us on this frigid Thursday afternoon. Jake Durant from CBS Marquette will be along shortly. It's Super Week. It is time to focus on the Super Bowl. Get your mind off the cold. It was negative 14 when we woke up today. It's up to what, like, positive three now. Our minds are going to be in Atlanta for this weekend and Super Bowl Sunday. But it's been a terrible week for the NFL by and large. And it all started a couple of days ago when the NFL felt the need to acknowledge the Adam Schefter report that said four officials in the NFC Championship game had ties to Southern California. It sounds like a low-hanging fruit conspiracy theory type report from Schefter. I was pretty disappointed, to be honest, that someone of his caliber would come out with something like that. But then the NFL gives it life. Their biggest mistake is that they gave it life and acknowledged it. Schefter looked like some paranoid conspiracy theorist. But then the NFL actually felt the need to acknowledge it and release a statement about it. And best case scenario for the NFL, they're not part of a conspiracy. They're just incompetent. That they can't get four officials that aren't from the geographical areas, one of the teams playing in the game, the team that just so happened to win because they were the beneficiary of a blown pass interference call, a no call that never should have occurred. You had one of the officials in question staring right at the play. Another, one of the linesmen, it's not his call, but he's looking right down the line and seeing this play happen. That was the beginning of a bad week for the NFL. It continued yesterday. Roger Goodell finally released a statement regarding the incident. Players such as Saints tight end Benjamin Watson had been calling on the commissioner to release a statement, to say something, acknowledge the play. Goodell finally did. It took him 10 days since the game occurred to come out with a statement and to address the situation. Simply put, he said, our officials are human and we need to do better. Now, it's tricky when you're releasing a statement on this situation. So in that sense, I get why Goodell waited as long as he did, about a week and a half. I certainly won't be somebody who gives Roger Goodell the benefit of the doubt. But it is tricky because you've got lawyers involved in this. And there could be legal precedents sent where if the league acknowledges that something was mishandled, there is an admittance of guilt. If you did that in a court of law, an admittance of guilt, you could be held liable you absolutely would be held liable. Same thing with Roger Goodell. You've got lawyers involved, and you've got an angry fan base that's demanding change. And if you, as the head of the NFL, admit guilt, you admit fault, then your head's going to be the one in the stake. And I get in some ways that for someone it could be a closure thing. Like the Saints players want to be acknowledged. They want wrongdoing acknowledged, an apology even. Instead, they got silence for about a week and a half. And it hit me why Roger Goodell was handling it the way he did, why he did what he did, and it took him so long to address something like this. Because every year, right about this time, the Wednesday before the Super Bowl, Roger Goodell holds somewhat of a State of the Union press conference, an NFL State of the Union. He goes out there and he says a puppet, and he doesn't give any earth-shattering news, Usually he just gets hammered by the media for it, which is exactly what happened. But no matter what 
he says, or how much of a puppet he looks like, it's all quickly forgotten. Because four days later, we are going to play the biggest sporting event in the world. And everyone's going to forget that the commissioner looked like a puppet. He was out there giving coach speak answers, commissioner speak in this sense. Everyone forgets that. And the media has a new narrative. And that's who won the Super Bowl. Outcomes of the Super Bowl. So it doesn't matter what Goodell says. It's all going to be forgotten in a few days. This was strategic and calculated by the NFL. They weren't going to put out a statement on this until the annual NFL State of the Union, which occurred yesterday, and Goodell finally did speak, although that wasn't part of the State of the Union address. The NFL State of the Union address is the third point where things have gone wrong for the NFL this week. Because instead of addressing the missed call in the NFC Championship game, which he did earlier in the day, he released a statement earlier in the day before his NFL State of the Union address. Instead, he spent that dodging questions about Callan Kaepernick. Because media members want to know why Mark Sanchez and Josh Johnson have a job, but Colin Kaepernick doesn't. And Roger Goodell gave the answer he was supposed to. If a team feels that Colin Kaepernick will help them win, they're going to get him. That if a team is willing to do whatever it takes to win, and there are some teams out there who will, that they would do that. Think about the New England Patriots. They are far from being in the market for Colin Kaepernick. No need. They've got Tom Brady. But the New England Patriots took a chance on Josh Gordon, a player who had his own struggles, his own history, what have you. They took a chance on him and brought him in because they felt that he would help them win. You comply with us, you can play with us. That's the Patriot culture. And I know Kaepernick and Josh Gordon have a whole different history, different set of circumstances surrounding them. The question here really isn't, will Colin Kaepernick help a team win? The question is, how many mediocre quarterbacks, how many bad QBs need to be signed before Colin Kaepernick is? I'm not bringing politics into this. I'm leaving politics and social activism completely out of it. Based on a performance-based scale, would Colin Kaepernick be an upgrade over Mark Sanchez, Josh Johnson, and some of the guys that are playing quarterback right now in the NFL. I don't know that he's any better than a lot of those guys. I know he took him to a Super Bowl, but so did Joe Flacco that same year. Out of the 32 owners or ownership groups in the NFL, do we think that there's somebody out there that has intentionally sidestepped the Colin Kaepernick sweepstakes or lack of sweepstakes because of his social activism? I'd say there probably are. I would say there probably is at least somebody who doesn't want to sign him because of what he's done in the past. But the thing is, he's not that good of a player. I mean, social activism, what he's done aside, you can agree with it or not, he's not that good of a quarterback. He did take him to a Super Bowl, yes. But who's to say that 2013 Colin Kaepernick is going to play again in 2019? Got to keep in mind, last time he played was back in 2016. He was benched for Blaine Gabbert. Colin Kaepernick's not that good of a quarterback, but if a team passes on him, then that's considered oppression. That's what I don't like about today's NFL. And that's what Roger Goodell was facing yesterday at his State of the Union address. Roger Goodell spent the whole time sidestepping questions, but it came at a perfect time for the NFL. 
Because come Monday, once we have a Super Bowl champion crowned, whether that's in L.A. or Foxborough, no one is going to remember what Roger Goodell said at his NFL State of the Union. Actually, it's really what he didn't say. He spent the whole time trying to sidestep Kaepernick questions. The NFL strategically planned how this week was going to go in regards to the media. They strategically planned to wait to comment on the NFC Championship no-call that cost the Saints a trip to the Super Bowl. They waited until the time was right, right before the Super Bowl was going to occur and nobody was going to give it a second thought. It was just good fortune for Roger Goodell that the Kaepernick question started to arise too. And as much as the media has come after Goodell in the past, he looked really bad yesterday at the press conference. Not bad in the sense that he is intentionally trying to keep Colin Kaepernick out of the league, but bad in the sense like he didn't know how to handle this. And in some sense, I understand why. He finally released a statement on the NFC Championship game, and he was expecting to take questions about that at a State of the Union address. And he did. But for whatever reason, the majority of the time was spent discussing Colin Kaepernick. So it's been a bad week for the NFL with all three of those things coming together. And we still have three days until the Super Bowl. It's been anything but a super week for the NFL. While they're down there in Atlanta partying, living it up, two teams, media members all across the country, Roger Goodell is trying to dodge blows. And again, I don't care what side of the argument you're on with Colin Kaepernick, I don't feel a bit sorry for Roger Goodell. I don't think anybody does, seeing him on the hot seat, seeing him uncomfortable. I don't think anybody's too broken up about Goodell facing a little adversity. It's been anything but a super week for him. And we still have a few days left until we actually play the game. So yeah, Goodell is going to take his bumps and bruises. I'm sure if you've checked social media, you've seen about it. But then the game's going to happen. That's going to be all anybody talks about. Maybe a few of those commercials, a few good ones I'm sure are going to come out. The Pepsi one with Little John, Cardi B, and Steve Carell was funny. I know A-Rod's doing a peanut commercial. There's going to be some good ones. And that's going to be what the media focuses on. This was strategically done by the NFL to have their bumps and bruises taken during Super Week. Always is. But they're a little more black and blue during this Super Bowl week than they have been in years past. And I'll say this, the way the NFL has been run and managed over the last few years during Goodell's tenure, I wouldn't feel a bit sorry for him if this plan blows up in their face. They're playing that they're going to take their lumps during Super Week and then the media is going to change their narrative and everyone's going to forget about what Goodell said at his State of the Union. I will laugh if it blows up in his face and this is all the people talk about, even if we have a fantastic Super Bowl and some good commercials sprinkled in there. If you caught the press conference that New Orleans Saints head coach Sean Payton had a few days ago, it appeared that he had a jacket over a shirt with Roger Goodell's face on it and a clown nose superimposed over the face. You could only see the topmost part of the shirt, but it appeared to match the same shirt that Matt Patricia wore a few years ago during the Deflategate scandal when Patricia was still the defensive coordinator in New England. Patricia openly wore that shirt. Roger Goodell's face with a clown nose superimposed on it. It appeared just based on the top part we could see right above the zipper that Sean Payton was wearing the same shirt. 
and it wouldn't surprise me a bit if it were true. I know Goodell and Patricia were at odds when that happened. They appeared to have moved on from it now. They buried the hatchet. But Sean Payton actually has a legitimate reason to have beef with Goodell. And I'm excited to see how that transpires here in the coming weeks. We're up against our first time out. When we come back, I said on the show a few weeks ago, why hasn't Tony Romo been interviewed for a head coaching job? And a new report seems to suggest somebody's tried. That's coming up after this in the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP, online with our app, Tanner Hoops in studio with you. Thanks for hanging out with me, Jake Durant, coming on shortly on this frigid Thursday afternoon. Again, it's starting to warm up. It's starting to get there. Makes you feel any better. We're about 20 degrees warmer up here than my home state of Iowa. I'm still getting Snapchats from my friends there. I see screenshots of the weather app. Polar Vortex, it's no joke, I tell you what. You know what else isn't a joke? This news. Apparently, some NFL team has contacted Tony Romo about being its next head coach. Tony Romo, as an NFL head coach, I said a few weeks ago on the show that I'm shocked the eye-popping hires we've had so far. Cliff Kingsbury, Zach Taylor is expected to take the Cincinnati job, Brian Flores is expected to take the Miami job. I'm not saying those are bad guys or aren't good hires, but what about Tony Romo, a guy who's literally predicting plays before they happened? The AFC Championship game, he called 15 of 17 plays correctly that he made a prediction on before they happened. He knew exactly where the ball was going, who it was going to. Tony can see into the future. Rams defensive coordinator Wade Phillips, who was Tony Romo's head coach when he was with the Dallas Cowboys, jokingly said that he's going to have the CBS broadcast in his headset so that he knows where Tom Brady is going to be throwing the ball before the play happens. So I thought with that kind of acumen and the ability to diagnose defense, why has Tony Romo not been offered a head coaching job? But a report this week from Darren Rovell, a very respected business mind in the sports community, Darren Rovell reported that at least one team reached out to Tony Romo to gauge his interest about being their head coach. The team was not identified, but reportedly someone did reach out to Tony Romo. They wanted to see if he was interested in the job. They didn't offer it to him, but somebody wanted to see if he was interested. Now, Romo is still going to be the lead analyst for CBS. He's got to call the Super Bowl. But could Romo coach in the NFL? He's diagnosing plays so well, I'd want him on my sidelines, or at least up in my booth. Why couldn't he be an offensive coordinator somewhere? His ties to the Cowboys, their offensive coordinator job is open. You think they've reached out to him? It's not the Cowboys, but somebody, some unnamed NFL team, did reach out to Romo to see if he'd be interested in being their head coach. He'd be one of those new, young hires that everyone's so excited about. Romo's a former quarterback. He's an offensive guy. But do you think that there was a team that was interested in his offense? 
Or was it just the ability to know where the ball is going on a given play? Do you think that, well, let's consider the eight openings this year for head coach in the NFL. You had Miami, the Jets, the Broncos, the Bengals, the Packers, the Cardinals, the Browns, and the Buccaneers. Do you really think that Brian Gutekunst in the Green Bay front office thought, we're going to bring in Tony Romo because he was such a good quarterback that we're going to have him mentor Aaron Rodgers? I can't believe that the Packers front office would think that, which makes me think it wasn't the Packers. But yeah, let's put on our detective hat here. Let's have our little Sherlock Holmes hat on and let's try and figure this out together. It leads me to believe that it wasn't the Packers who wanted Tony Romo as their head coach. Cleveland, I think it came down to Freddie Kitchens and Greg Williams from the beginning. I don't know that they were looking too far outside of the Cleveland Browns organization, except for Mike McCarthy. But keep in mind, McCarthy made it clear he only wanted one job, and that was the Jets. So Cleveland seemed to have their guy before the season even ended especially when they were having success. They didn't know if that was coming from Greg Williams as the interim head coach or if that came from Freddie Kitchens getting to work with Baker Mayfield hands-on. What about Miami and Denver? Those are the two teams out of the eight that hired a defensive-minded guy, or at least are planning on hiring a defensive guy. Miami has to wait until New England season is over and they can get Brian Flores. But the Broncos went with Vic Fangio, defensive coordinator of the Bears, who brought back the monsters of the midway. They went with the defensive guy. What if, and this is just pure speculation, but what if a team didn't want Romo for his quarterback mind and they actually wanted him as more of a defensive-minded coach because he knows where the ball is going on any given play? That's a lot to speculate, but what if, what if that were the case? You know who I think was the one who reached out to him? I think it was Arizona. I really do. I think it was the Cardinals, just based on the hire that they did get. Theirs was probably the one that was the most far out in getting Cliff Kingsbury. They had a terrible offense this season. I'm sure they figured we get a guy who played quarterback. Steve Wilkes, the previous coach, played defensive back in the NFL. Our offense has got to get at least a little better. And if we know where the ball is going on defense, then we're going to have pretty good defense, no matter who's there as the D.C. What about the rest of the league? What about based on the hires that they got? What have we learned about them? I don't think Tampa Bay was interested in Tony Romo, just based on who they did hire. Because Tony Romo and Bruce Arians come from different generations. Both are offensive guys, but they both have very different offensive minds and again maybe they weren't after Romo's offensive mind they maybe they were just after his ability to see into the future but based on who they did hire I just don't see how you can put Tony Romo and Bruce Arians in the same box Cincinnati they're expected to hire Zach Taylor quarterbacks coach of the Rams and again you can't make contact with a coach while his team is still in the postseason so they have to wait until after the Super Bowl to presumably hire Zach Taylor that makes me think that they're going with the Sean McVay coaching tree no matter what. That Romo never worked into Cincinnati's plans for the future. That they were set on somebody who's been under Sean McVay. One of his boys. That's what Cliff Kingsbury did at Arizona. You put that on your resume. Cliff Kingsbury did it to get hired by the Cardinals. 
you put, I'm one of Sean McVay's boys as a bullet point on your resume, you got a job in the NFL. That's the way the NFL is trending right now. Lastly, what about the Jets? Could it have been the Jets? I wouldn't put it past them. In fact, they might be the second most likely team behind Arizona. But they got a pretty good hire with Adam Gase. Sam Darnold is a quarterback that's young, relatively unproven. What if the thought process was to get Tony Romo in there and start to bring him along? But I'll say this, if I were a general manager, I'm not hiring Tony Romo for his ability to develop a young quarterback. I'm hiring him because he knows where the ball is going. Nine times out of ten. Tony Romo can just see into the future. That's what makes him such a good broadcaster. He did say he wants to coach in the NFL. He said that on Dallas radio yesterday morning. He says he does want to coach someday. But maybe not now. And why would he? He's got a fantastic job. He's getting ready to call the Super Bowl in three days. As a coach, his salary would double. But you're working a lot longer and with a lot more intensity than you would be in a booth on Sundays. If I were Romo, that'd be the drawback to coaching. And it's not like he's scraping pennies to get by. He's got a pretty good gig where he is right now. I don't, I don't blame him for not wanting to give that up and go be a coach somewhere. I think he's doing the right thing. But Tony Romo could coach in the NFL someday. My only worry about him, and I worry about him as a broadcaster in this regard too, how much will the game have changed by the time he's ready to get down on the sidelines? Or how much will the game change in five years if he's still up there in the booth? Will he still be able to diagnose plays the way he is right now? Because let's face it, the game is changing all the time. It wasn't the same game that we played five years ago, ten years ago, twenty years ago. Will Tony be able to change with it? Until then, if that day ever comes, let's enjoy the psychic Tony Romo we get to listen to every Sunday we're going to get to listen to on Super Bowl Sunday. Here's his prediction for how Super Bowl Sunday is going to go. He predicts the final score will be 28-24, to 24, that the team who loses will have the ball last, and it will be a defensive stand that wins the Super Bowl this year. But he didn't pick a winner. So you do with that what you will. But if he's right, I'm going to lose my ever-loving mind. And I'm sure a lot of you are as well. How Tony Romo can do this. You pick the over-under on 52 points. That's what Tony's setting it at. He's setting it at 52 points on Super Bowl Sunday. 28-24. But he's not picking a winner. Tony's a tease. Super Bowl Sunday coming up this weekend. I can't wait. It's been too long without football. I know we had the Pro Bowl, but does the Pro Bowl count or is that just a buy? We did our Twitter poll, and I want to go to this before we go to a break. Which is your favorite between the NFL Pro Bowl, the NBA All-Star Game, the NHL All-Star Game, or the MLB All-Star Game? Who showcases their All-Stars the best? of the four major pro leagues. Again, thank you to everybody who voted, took the time to get in our Twitter poll and give us this very unscientific information, but I like it. Engage how our listeners feel. MLB, the MLB All-Star Game was the winner with almost half the vote, got 46% of the vote. Next was the NBA All-Star Game. They got 36. The other two weren't even close. The NHL All-Star Game had 12, and then the NFL Pro Bowl, 6%. We had to send that tweet over to the NFL offices, although they're 
busy dealing with their own stuff this week. Super week for everybody but the NFL. But the NFL Pro Bowl gets just 6% of the vote. It should tell the NFL something about their product, but they won't listen. As long as it's generating revenue, as long as it's something to keep fans engaged in football between the conference championship games and the Super Bowl, the NFL is going to be just all right with that. We're up against our first break. We're hitting the bottom of the hour. When we come back, I'll be joined by Jake Durant from CBS Marquette. We'll get his thoughts on the Super Bowl, plus our top five favorite football movies of all time. we got to have that during Super Week, and that's coming up next in the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. The Sports Pen lives here on ESPN-UP, online with our app. Thanks for being with us on this frigid Thursday afternoon. Here is your Sports Center update. Bryce Harper is set to meet with the San Diego Padres at his home in Las Vegas later this evening. NHL veteran Antoine Vermette has announced his retirement after 14 professional seasons. Vermette was known as one of the premier face-off specialists of our generation. And finally, a Pittsburgh television employee who was fired this week after airing a photo of Tom Brady captioned, Known Cheater, has set up a GoFundMe account so he can help pay for his newly purchased house. He said the graphic was a joke. He's asking for donations from anybody who shares his sense of humor. He says that any money left over after his house is paid off will be donated to a charity of Tom Brady's choosing. That is your Sports Center update. This is the Sports Pen on ESPN UP, just about to hit the bottom of the hour. Thanks for being with us. Welcome in Jake Durant from CBS Marquette. He joins us on the ESPN UP phone line. He's got stuff he's got to take care of over at CBS Marquette. Plus, it's cold out there, man. I don't blame you for not venturing outside today. Hello, Jake. Uh oh. Let's see if Hello. we have Jake. There we go. There oh, we got hey, him. All right. Hey, we, we were worried we lost you there. Man, we, I was just saying I don't blame you at all for, you know, you got stuff to do. You're busy as a TV man. You've got stuff to fill with cancellations happening and then the weather and what have you. I don't blame you, man. Stay inside as much as you can today. Right. It's been crazy. A lot of cancellations, a lot of postponements. I'm just trying to get the schedule up to date with, with high school sports, high school basketball in particular. Um, but hopefully we, we uh, are going to see an end to this, this cold weather here pretty soon. We're going to get back on track with all of the high school action. But, yeah, it's been a pretty crazy day. And, uh, you know, once again, thanks for having me on. Yeah, appreciate you being here as always. Always enjoy talking on Thursdays. By the way, Westwood Patriot girls hosting Marquette this evening. That's not happening. That's been postponed with no makeup date scheduled at this time. It has been postponed due to inclement weather we've got the polar vortex we're dealing with all across the midwest but we're getting ready for super bowl sunday i heard it's actually going to be fairly nice compared to what we're having right now the weather's going to be okay it's not going to be like this but everyone's going to be inside watching the super bowl and man i'm excited for this game i don't know that it's going to be a terribly close game to be honest with you i still think it's going to be new england by 10 to 14 points but it's Super Bowl Sunday, man. It's your excuse to hang out with your friends, have some food, a lot of stuff that's probably not healthy for you, and watch football. We celebrate the game of football here in America. Right. I mean, this is it's almost a, a holiday here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. uh, 
but the Super Bowl, especially when you talk about um, two very good teams, I think this one is going to be uh, just another great game. Um, you know, it, I'm going back and forth. I've been going back and forth all week with, with who I think is going to, to come out on top of uh, in this game, but um, I think I have I think I have a good idea of, of what's going to happen. Um, you know, my, at least for uh, my prediction, anyways, I think I think the Patriots are going to get it as well. I, I'm going to have to agree with you. I think Tom Brady is going to uh, get one more ring before he. Um, I don't obviously I don't think he's going to retire. He stated he's not going to retire, but I think he he has a good shot this this uh, this game to get his uh, six rings. So it should be interesting. Tony Romo set the over under at 52 points. Are you going to take the over or the under on that? I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to go over on that. Mm. A high score and shootout affair. That's <laughs> I'd like to see that. That's what I would right. like to see. Something me just too. tells me I can't go against the Patriots in in the postseason, especially in the Super Bowl. And I give a ton of credit to Sean McVay because he's a genius, especially on offense. He's just so smart. But he's going up against Bilicek. And if there's anybody who's been more of a genius in NFL history than Bilicek, I mean, point him out. I mean, Bilicek is a schemer. Last time these two teams played, it was back in 2016 in the regular season, and they had a game plan on Aaron Donald where he had, I think, two quarterback hurries and no sacks, and New England dominated them in that game. They made Aaron Donald a non-factor. Well, now you've got a much better defensive line than you had back then. You've got Dante Fowler and Indomitian Sue to complement him, and then you've got upgrades in your secondary as well. You're going to need one or two of those guys at least to step up and be playmakers if we're going to see the same thing where Aaron Donald becomes a non-factor. Right, and when you talk about Tom Brady and the, the way he's able to just get the ball out uh, very quickly when you talk about um, you know, just a few seconds, he really um, neutralizes the defensive lines. Um, and um, it's going to be uh, integral that the Saint or the Los Angeles Rams do get some pressure on Tom Brady. Um, but, you know, I just kind of see a similar, similar thing happening that I've seen throughout the whole postseason, and that's Tom Brady really uh, being able to kind of, you know, pick apart a defense. I know um, the Rams' secondary is upgraded this season, but – um, I see him, you know, really neutralizing that defense by just doing what he's been doing all postseason, and that's um, getting the ball out quick to to his hot reads and and just uh, you know the short short passes, and that really takes a toll on a defense, and and you know it frustrates defenses, and and I can I can see him doing that again, and and uh, it, it's going to be interesting because obviously you have Sean McVay there, um, the the genius that he is when you talk about scoring, and then you have Bill Belichick, kind of the old school, kind of old school, new school type of type of feel. Um, and, you know, it's going to just be interesting to see um, the chess game between those two coaches. I do think um, the Patriots on, on defense are going to be focused on stopping the Rams' run game because anytime the Rams are, were able to get um, that run game going this season, they've, they've found success and won a lot of games. Um, and I think they're going to make Jared Goff kind of try to beat them through the air. And, and with me, I think that's going to be the difference. I think uh, Jared Goff is really going to be the key to this one because I see this one being a high-scoring game. I see both defenses, um, you know, giving up some points. But we've seen Jared Goff even throughout this season. He's played very, very well. But there's been some times where he's kind of been suspect and, you know, his confidence has kind of been shaken. So um, I do see uh, New England coming out and trying to really get pressure on Jared Goff, make it um, harder on him, you know, kind of um, get him a little nervous back there and and see if he's going to make some mistakes. So I do think it's going to come down to Jared Goff and and what he can do. And then obviously with Tom Brady and, and, um, you know, his greatness, um, and leading that offense there for New England is going to be interesting to see as well. The best way to neutralize a defense where your best player 
is one of the linemen that's coming right at it. It's not to double-team him with two guards. It's to get the ball out quickly, like you were talking about. And Tom Brady has such a luxury in James White as being one of the better pass-catching backs in the NFL. I'm not saying anything about Tom Brady. I'm not going to get on the argument whether he's the greatest or not. But the people who advocate against Tom Brady say that he's a system quarterback because he never throws it downfield. All he does is little check downs. Well, it's working for him. I mean, he's got five rings. I'm sure he's all right with or at least half the population or so thinking that he's a system quarterback. But he gets the ball out quickly, and that's what you need to do to win. It's a big part of why he's been so successful these last, how many, 15 seasons or what have you. It's not necessarily that he doesn't have arm strength or anything like that. It's just part of being one of the greatest players of all time is being smart enough to be able to do stuff like that, to be able to throw the little check down and throw high percentage passes, even though it's not the flashy 50-yard bomb that you're going to see from Patrick Mahomes and Drew Brees and company. Brady's the smart quarterback, and that's why he's got five rings. He'll be going for his sixth this weekend. Exactly, and you know, um, he's been so consistent because, like you said, of his smarts. I mean, He's seen every single thing that a quarterback can see. Um, defenses throughout this, the years have tried to stop him every which way. I mean, um, it just goes to show what type of mind he has, and he's been able to kind of overcome that. Like you said, be successful. It's not, not really how you win. It's just getting it done. Um, and he's been able to get it done, you know, staying upright on his feet, um, not getting hit a lot, and, and, you know, just making those quick passes, leaning on the run game, and that's kind of been the formula for success. I mean, you can't knock a guy for, you know, taking care of himself and getting the ball out and staying healthy. I mean, that's one of the reasons why we're seeing him play so late, um, so late on, or, you know, obviously him being older, um, you know, him being able to play later on in his 40s is something, Is the reason behind that is because he's been able to get it, get it out. So, um, yeah, definitely interesting to see um, just how he's been able to kind of throughout the years evolve himself and just um, where he is right now. I mean, it's 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 crazy to to see him get to the line, read these defenses, and just be able to pick guys apart. It's it's something that you know we 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 take for granted right now. We'll probably realize it later on down the road. But I mean, in my eyes, he's the greatest of all time just because of what he's been able to do. And um, you know, yeah, Bill Belichick has a, a lot to do with it. But I mean, uh, they're uh, a pairing. I mean, um, those two guys are just you know together really really great. And um, you know, I think both both of those guys need each other, and they've been successful with each other. So it's been it's been cool to see. Jake Durant from CBS Marquette. He is on the phone line with us this afternoon. I know we've got a blockbuster NBA trade that went down about 30 minutes ago, and I want to get to that, but it is Super Week with Super Bowl Sunday just on the horizon. So Jake and I have come up with our list of our five favorite football movies of all time. Jake, would you like to do the honors? Give us your top five. All right, so, you know, there's a lot of good football movies, and, you know, it depends what kind of movies you like. So I'm going to start with five and go down to one. Is that all right? Yeah, go for it. All right, so at number five, um, now now these are my favorite movies now. I'm going to go with The Replacement. Good, um, good one. You know, you know, it's it's one of those movies that I just loved. You know, I've, I've watched several several, uh, several times. It's a really fun movie and, and, you know, a good story behind it. So I really like that movie. Number four, I'm going to go Varsity Blues. Mm. Um, you know, this is a movie that some people forget about, but uh, it's, it's just, again, one of those movies that, you know, as a kid growing up, I, I just really liked liked to see. It, it kind of, it focused around football, but there was a lot more to it, um, obviously overcoming a lot of things. 
Um, number three, I'm going to go Any Given Sunday. Oh, yeah. LL Cool J. I mean, great movie. Um, you know, just a, just a really good movie. A lot of good action in that one. Um, number two, I'm going to have to go Rudy. Hey, classic. there you go. I know you you like Rudy. Um, Love you know, it's Rudy. Great story there. Obviously, that's a classic football movie. Um, and it's really hard to go against that movie. Great story in that one as well. And then Friday Night Lights is my number one mm-hmm. um, football movie. I mean, that movie is just great. You know, it sucks you in from the, the opening uh, credits and, and just uh, brings you along the whole movie. So um, those are my top five. I'm going to go Friday Night, Friday Night Lights is my favorite. Well, I tell you, I give you more credit because you actually were able to order your guys. And, and I tried to do mine. It was hard enough just picking a top five. I mean, there's so many great movies I want to put up in there. So in no particular order, my top five include Rudy and Friday Night Lights for a lot of the same reasons that you did. You know, Rudy's so emotional for me. It's the only movie that can bring me to tears, you know. And as a Notre Dame guy, big fan of it. Um, so that one for me. Uh, it's got to be up there along with Friday Night Lights. I had the new Longest Yard, the the newer one, I should say, with Adam Sandler plus Burt Reynolds. I'd, I've never seen the original one, but the new one is something that makes me laugh every time. Always enjoy uh, being able to see that one. Remember the Titans I put in my top five, which is a little bit sad to talk about with the real-life Julius Campbell passing away earlier this week. But for me, that's such an inspirational movie. They combine football and, you know, integrating uh, lifestyles and in, you know, cultures and what have you. And they combine all of that and overcoming odds. For me, that's just a great story. And then my last one is what I consider to be the most underrated football movie of all time those underappreciated movie and that's draft day with kevin costner i love the movie draft day they never really show any gameplay they take you inside the front office and they show you how the draft process works and i know the cleveland browns are hoping that they have some day like that maybe they're on the horizon but they've got a great cast in there with costner and Dennis Leary, and I love Jennifer Garner, any movie that she's in. So for me, Draft Day's got to be one of the more underrated football movies out there. I mean, yeah, I have to agree. Draft Day was a good one, and, I, and I'm with you. I like to see that behind-the-scenes look uh, when you talk about the, the management and things and how, how a team's run um, in the upper upper level of the, of the team. Like you said, there's not a lot of gameplay or anything like that, but it was cool to see a story, um, just how a team is run and, and, and the obstacles they have to go up against and, and a, a, remember the Titans obviously is a great movie as well. I have to agree with you um, as well. I, I guess I went with more of the you know uh, entertaining um, mm-hmm. you know uh, in your face route when you talk about varsity blues and things like that. Any given Sunday as well. Um, yeah, I don't know. Those were just entertaining movies to me, so I had to, I had to put those in my top five. It was hard to pick only five of them because there's so many great football movies out there i wanted to put gridiron gang up there i wanted to put facing the giants up there another one though and this is probably my highest of honorable mentions is radio i love that movie oh radio was good yeah. i really like that one um would the blind side be a football oh movie? yeah it's another good one yeah hey blind side's really good too great movie that's, absolutely that's another a lot one of... that could could bring you to tears a little bit Famous cameos in there, too. Nick Saban, Lou Holtz are all in that movie, along with Sandra Bullock. I mean, it's a pretty good cast. Lily Collins, oh, yeah. too. What, what was it? She just came out in uh, some movie. Was she in the... She's in the new Ted Bundy movie with uh, with Zac Efron. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that one looks interesting as well. I haven't yeah. seen that, though. That's not a football movie. 
That's not a football movie. I'm interested, <laughs> to, interested to see that one, though. But, yeah, all those cameos with all those coaches in the blind side, that was pretty cool to see. Um, to see their acting chops, I guess you could say. Jake Durant from CBS Marquette is with us. We owe you our last time out. When we come back, we're breaking down the blockbuster NBA trade that happened right about as we were getting on air. All the details and our takes on it coming up next in the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Tanner Hoops, Jake Durant with you as we wind you down to the 5 o'clock hour on this frigid Thursday afternoon. Well, Jake, the news broke a little less than an hour ago that Kristaps Porzingis is going to be making his way to Dallas. He has been traded to the Mavericks in exchange for Wesley Matthews, Dennis Smith Jr., and DeAndre Jordan. The Mavs will also get Tim Hardaway Jr., and Courtney Lee, there may be a few more draft assets that are going to be sprinkled in there. But what a shakeup in the NBA. Well, everybody was focused on Anthony Davis and who was going to land the brow. Now, all of a sudden, Porzingis drops this bomb. And I saw just a brief uh, tweet or something today that, you know, he was frustrated with the team tanking because they have made it no secret they are tanking to try and get Zion Williamson in the draft and he's frustrated with the losing direction and particularly how he's not on the floor and by the end of the workday he's already on his way to a new team right I mean the the fact it happened so quickly I know he uh let management know that he was unhappy with where the team was going and and you know snap the fingers he's he's out the door and, and like you said it was it was kind of crazy it came out of left field with all the Anthony Davis talk and and just the NBA just focusing so much on on the Lakers and things like that. That um, yeah, this was kind of kind of a shocker here. Um, I think it works out well for both teams. I think Dallas gets a guy in Porzingis who's a certified superstar, and um, you know he's able to um, uh, team up there with uh, Luka Doncic and, and company. And I think that's a, a nice little young core, core you got um, there in Dallas. And then when you talk about um, the New York Knicks. Uh, tanking and, and things like that. They get a, a nice young guard and Dennis Smith Jr. who's going to be able to do some things. And you know he's pretty electric and they can score the ball. And then they get some expiring contracts. So um, you team him up with what what should be Zion Williamson. I'm guessing. Um, you know you get, you're starting the rebuild there in uh, New York. So I think um, for both teams, I think it's going to it's going to work out well. And um, interesting to see um, just how that that uh, move is going to be for for the Dallas Mavericks. I want to, um, you know, Doncic is a superstar. If Porzingis can stay healthy, I mean, you got two really, really good players um, playing against, uh, you know, up with each other, and I think that's going to be a very lethal uh, little team right there uh, when you talk about Dallas. And you know, they've been able to flip the script super fast uh, when you talk about drafting Doncic and now I'm bringing in in Porzingis. So, um, you know, Mark Cuban, he can never count him out. He's always got some moves up his sleeves, and and uh, it's going to be interesting to see just how this move. Uh, swings the pendulum in the NBA. I have two possible overreactions. I want to get your thoughts on this first. Uh, one of them regarding one team and then the uh, other being for the other team. Um, for the New York Knicks, I was listening to the Dan Lebitard show a couple of days ago, and Stu Gatz, who's a big New York sports fan, was saying that the Knicks, when they make it no secret that they're tanking, which they're doing right now, they are more fun to watch when they're tanking rather than when they're actually trying because then it's just kind of sad. Is that true? And on another note, now that you have Porzingis matching up with Luka Doncic, plus you've got Dirk Nowinski 
Is it safe to say that Dallas, and again, this is probably an overreaction, does Dallas have the greatest three European basketball players of all time on their team right now? Um, to answer your first question, I do think it's it's probably better for Knicks fans knowing that they're tanking because, like you said, when, when you feel like they're trying and losing, that's pretty sad. But when you know they're tanking, you know they're not – I guess not caring if they they win or lose uh, or trying to lose. I think it's more interesting to watch a team try to lose mm-hmm. and, it is, and make it look like you know they're they're competing rather than watching them you know just just be really bad. So um, I can see kind of where Stugatz gets that. I mean, as long as you know they're tanking, um, you know you're watching kind of with without any expectation. So um, you know you're not frustrated, you're not anything like that, knowing that hey you're trying to get set up for the future. Um, it's hard to argue against it. I mean. Obviously, Dirk Nowitzki, one of the best European players to ever play. Um, he's been with the Mavs his whole career, done a lot of things, you know, easily a Hall of Famer. Um, Luka Doncic is doing things that not many people have done, you know, as a rookie coming into the league. Um, you know, he's he's looking like he's a bona fide superstar, um, you know, in the making. I'd, I'd say he's he's getting there um, already in his, in his rookie season, which, you know, not many people can do the way he's been able to come in the NBA and just kind of take things over. Um, it's been pretty pretty amazing to see. And then, you know, when Porzingis is healthy, I mean, he's really, really good, too. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, he's an athletic guy, you know, a very skilled, um, like most European players are, able to shoot the ball. And, and, and um, you know, he, he was a high flyer. Um, let's hope he, he stays that way, even with through the injuries. But, I mean, I would have to say they're, they're pretty much up there. I, w- I would have to agree that uh, I would say they have three – really really amazing european players on their team and um you know it's kind of what the spurs were doing with with ginobili and and company and tony parker and things like that you know grabbing those those foreign guys that are skilled and 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 know how to play the game and um i think it's going to work out for them i i think the dallas mavericks are one of the teams that you you want to pay to to watch play and um they're going to be exciting ginobili tony parker and of course patty mills the australian they they were building it up that way in san antonio it may not be uh, it, it may be too early to say that they're the three greatest European players ever. We haven't seen enough of Doncic and Porzingis yet, but I mean they have all the potential to make us believe that they could be when it's all said and done. And before we have to sign off, I want to get your thoughts on the Anthony Davis sweepstakes because he's come out and said that any team that he's traded to that's not the Los Angeles Lakers, he will be leaving after one season. Once he becomes a free agent, his intention is to sign with the Los Angeles Lakers. Do they have any shot, anybody, you know, they being anybody who's not the Lakers, is there any shot that Anthony Davis goes anywhere but L.A. right now? I mean, does Boston, if he makes it to the summer, have a real shot at him? Because if they land him and they win an NBA championship, even though he says he'd go to L.A., It'd be really hard to walk away from something like that, right? And and I, that's the one team I would have to say has has a good shot. Obviously, if you're you're trying to trade for them right now, I mean it's it's a rental. Um, you got to be very confident, kind of like what OKC did with Paul George, that you're going to be able to, to retain him. And um, um, and a way to do that, the easiest way to do that is win. And um, to bring home a, a, a championship would be a way. It would be hard. I mean, if you. If you went to if Davis went to Boston, won a championship, you know, got along with the teammates and and, and started feeling comfortable there, um, it would it would be pretty hard to to pull him away from that. So um, outside of Boston, I don't really see another team um, that has 
has what it takes to, to retain him. Um, I do see Anthony Davis playing in L.A. Um, very, very soon, um, whether it be you know through trade. I don't know. I don't think the Lakers are going to trade for him, but um, once he's a free agent, I do see the Lakers uh, picking him up. But um, you know, I could I could definitely see him in Boston. I mean, they have the assets, they have the skill, they have the roster, um, and and they have the management and they have the franchise. You know, so um, they have they seem to be very consistent and. Um, you know, I think that would be a good. I think Boston would be a good spot. I think LA out there in LA would be a good spot. Um, you know, so it's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Um, but I do see Anthony Davis in a, in a Lakers uniform. You know, uh, with LeBron and, and possibly someone else um, once he's a free agent. I tell you what, a few days ago I was losing sleep because Kyrie Irving sounded like he wasn't going to re-sign with Boston. Like he was going to go rejoin LeBron out in LA. Now I'm starting to feel a little bit better about it. I saw them thump. Charlotte last night. I know it's Charlotte, but Boston missed Marcus Smartmore when he was out last season rather than Kyrie. And I know how good of a talent Kyrie is. I love him, but Boston is one of those teams that does better when there's not a go-to all-NBA superstar, when they've got a lot of guys who play within Brad Stevens' system and don't try to do anything too fancy or more or what have you. That's what I like about this Boston team, and I tell you what, they have played 27 home games without Kyrie Irving since he's become a member of the Celtics. They're 24-3 and in those games. So for me, that's one of the most telling stats that helps me feel a little bit better about the situation. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why Kyrie Irving would want to stay with Boston. Um, obviously, they can, they can pay him. Um, you know, they, they have been the means to pay him the most. Um, the young talent there in Boston... Um, the, the management, like I was saying, with Danny Ainge and company and Brad Stevens, um, very consistent, very reliable, um, you know, are going to do the right moves for the franchise, and they've been doing that for years, setting themselves up with all this talent. Um, it would be hard. I mean, you have the talent. You have everything you need there. You have all the tools for a championship. It's literally just, just making it happen. Um, why would you want to leave a place like that where you have all this talent, you know, um, all, all the, you know, all the pieces there for a championship why would you go and try to find that somewhere else i can kind of see where um people are trying to say maybe Kyrie would leave obviously this thing with lebron lebron tagging them in social media um obviously Kyrie interested in movies and things like that but to me it would be crazy for him to leave boston i think he has everything he needs there and um i don't see him leaving boston um that's just my take yeah he got uh that call to lebron placed a few weeks ago where he apologized to him for not uh, following the leader, which was LeBron at that time when they were teammates at Cleveland. Now he has a shot to be the leader, and something's telling me he doesn't really like it, and maybe he'd like to be one of those role-player guys again with LeBron. I didn't think too much of their phone call when it happened a few weeks ago, but now I'm starting to see maybe that's why he did it. Either way, uh, there's only a few of those special talents that are okay with being a role-player that still have all NBA talent, so... He's a special guy for whatever team would end up with him. I'd like to see him stay in Boston and things to pan out, but Boston's going to be okay with everything that happens. Maybe they land Anthony Davis and extend themselves a little bit better. Hey, I mean, they they put themselves in a, themselves in a position to to be able to withstand, you know, the departure of of say a Kyrie Irving, um, and also, you know, they they have the, the pieces there to win a championship if they could can land Anthony Davis. Um, you know, I, I think Boston is going to be fine either way. Um, 
it's 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 going to be it's it's going to be interesting to see. Obviously, I I root for the Boston Celtics. I know you root for the Boston Celtics, so um, we're we're keeping close in contact. I'd like to see Kyrie stay there, um, and, and maybe bring Anthony Davis in. Who knows? I I don't see Anthony Davis leaving the Pelicans this year, um, but um, it's going to be. It, I mean, it's just going to be interesting to see the, the the free agency and everything in the summer. It's unbelievable in the NBA. So it's going to be. It's going to be interesting to see just where all the pieces land, and um, you know, hopefully Boston can keep things together and, and, and do what what they set out to, and that's win a championship. Last thing I have for you before we hit the end of the show: the Toronto Raptors have made it clear that they're going all in this year to win a championship. They rented Kawhi Leonard. We can't technically say that, but it's a pretty safe bet. Would it be safe to think that maybe they scrape up everything they have in an offer to go after Anthony Davis? They don't have a whole lot of assets left to be traded since they acquired Kawhi Leonard, but what if Toronto decides to completely empty the tank and they're going after Anthony Davis for that championship this year? What assets could they possibly entice New Orleans with? I mean, that's going to have to be basically almost their whole roster plus all the draft picks. Um, and would that be enough with a Kawhi and and Anthony Davis, along with you know, not great role players, be enough to win a championship? Um, I don't think it would be. Um, how sad would that be if, if, if Toronto fans would, would have Anthony Davis and Kawhi Leonard on the court in the next season? Um, they're both gone. I mm-hmm. think that'd be that'd be pretty that'd be pretty depressing if you were a, a Raptors fan. But um, I mean, if they're going to go all in, you might as well you might as well put all your chips in. Um, that would be a great story to watch if they were able to somehow uh, pursue Davis in a trade. I, I just don't think that the Pelicans are really looking to, to trade him right now, so I, I, I just don't know if I see that happening. Jake Duran from CBS Marquette, our guest. Appreciate you, as always, joining us on the ESPN phone line. Looking forward to talking again next week, hopefully a little bit warmer outside. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. That's it for us here on the Sports Pen. We turn you over to Will Kane. Don't forget, no Westwood girls basketball tonight. That's been postponed to a date yet to be determined. Thanks for tuning in to Sports Pen on ESPN UPWZAM, Ishpeming Marquette.